Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. It is my pleasure to introduce you today to Dr. Jessica Metcalf. Dr. Metcalf is a full-time staff dentist, education director, special projects manager, and clinical investigator at Princess Margaret Cancer Center in the Department of Dental Oncology and Maxillofacial Prosthetics. She's an international lecturer on the topics of treating the cancer patient. She has a special interest in head and neck cancer patients, and she's also a part-time instructor at the University of Toronto Dental School. Dr. Metcalf has always been ambitious and driven, and yet there was always this distressing feeling that she felt like a fraud or the fear of being found out. What she soon learned is that these are common thoughts associated with the imposter syndrome. Dr. Metcalf has since pursued understanding of the imposter phenomenon, who it affects, and the strategies for self-management resources. Dr. Metcalf's passion is to work with dentists to overcome these thoughts so they too can recognize their capabilities and accomplishments. It is now my pleasure to bring you the interview with Dr. Metcalf. Jessica, it is so great to have you with us tonight. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and for ending your long, long day and still hopping on the podcast and sharing your story with the audience. So without any further ado, if you could just give us a little background into how you got into dentistry, where, where your journey has led you and what you're doing today. Thank you so much for having me today. I am super excited to share with you my story. So it did start from the age of 14. For So in Ontario, we have take your kid to work day. And so with at 14, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad is an accountant. And so because of that, they were like, okay, we'll go with your aunt to the dental clinic and my aunt's a dentist. So I said, okay, sounds good. And it was that day that started that I started to see a bigger picture to what dentistry was. And so from there, I worked at her office as receptionist for five years. And so I got to see the business side of it. And it was always so interesting because I remember sitting just the way the office was set up. She had her office across the way and being receptionist and she'd close the door and like do treatment plans and and I would always think, and then afterwards, when I finished dental school and I ended up working with her again, and I would have conversations with her behind the door about treatment plans, I was like, oh my God, this is what this is now. And it was, it was just a very heartwarming moment. But yeah, from the age of 15 to 20, I was really engaged and so appreciative of how I saw patients leaving there when they were given a new smile, whether it was after ortho or being given dentures or just having trauma fixed. And the way that you can change a person's mentality, demeanor, how they feel and think about themselves through a smile means the world to me. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get into dentistry because I wanted to help people get to that point, whether that's, which I'm realizing more often now, having that conversation and getting that information to them or gaining information from them and helping them give them a smile back at the end of the day. 
it honestly makes all the difference. And that's how I ended up making my way through to dentistry. Was it a straightforward path? No, obviously not. (laughs) I feel like there's no straightforward path anymore. So I did my I did high school. I went to undergrad. I changed programs three times, twice within science and then one into the arts. I did five years undergrad, started a master's program and didn't finish it, but ended up getting into Boston University and then migrated my way over to Boston from Toronto and did four years over there. Had it came back to Toronto where I finished a GPR program in hospital-based dentistry, so specifically treating medically compromised and special needs, and then migrated my way over to the cancer center. But it was during undergrad where I realized that life doesn't stop. Doesn't matter how many exams you have, doesn't matter how many patients you have, life doesn't stop. Life is gonna throw you curveballs. And so I had an extremely difficult couple of years in undergrad that dropped my grades. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to do a fifth year. I'm going to have to start my master's in order to make me that much more competitive. And it did. But I remember sitting in my interview and we were having such a great conversation. We were talking about poutine. We were talking about Montreal music. And then he goes, he opens, he opens up the binder of the grades and he goes, what happened? So I explained to him, I said, my cousin 15 years of age committed suicide because she was being bullied my mom who's bipolar was in car accident where she hit an oncoming school bus and so the car looked like it was inside out luckily she walked away with a torn eyelid and a torn mcl so thankfully and then i was diagnosed with learning disability and so i had to learn how to learn all over again and so he opened up those grades and i said to him i said This is what happened. But what I realized is that I am motivated to continue to pursue dentistry, which means now when life still continues, even when I'm in dental school, I'm going to be able to manage both. I've been through it. I know what to do moving forward, and I'm going to be able to figure it out. And that's the biggest thing. Great insight. Yeah. Really great insight. Now, Did you work, obviously you must have worked with some professionals to try and figure all of that out. So talk a little bit about that journey because I'm sure that was so impactful. So I didn't grieve for my cousin until probably about a year afterwards. And I remember I was in the middle of a physiology exam and one of the questions had just stimulated emotions. And it was like, and I ended up leaving there thinking it's too late to grieve. I'm a year later. I shouldn't be grieving right now. I should be able to focus. I need to put on my horse blinders and I need to be able to just focus and get into dentistry. Why aren't you strong enough? Why can't you do this? Right. And that's when one of my friends, because I was still living in residence at the time or in the dorms, I had one of my friends uh, pass by and saw I was crying and was just like, Hey, what's going on? And I explained the situation and they were like, I think you need to go and start to talk to someone. And I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I can just muddle through. It'll be fine. I'm strong. And I kept telling myself that over and over and over again. And it just went back to why, when we need help, are we afraid to ask for it? Why do we feel weak when we are trying to be so strong during those times? 
And so I'm very grateful that being in housing still, there was a housing psychologist. And so from there, I started my own journey with seeing a psychologist. And at this point, my mom's been bipolar, diagnosed with bipolar since I was a kid. So this isn't new to me where reaching out to help, having those third party individuals, being able to monitor med medications, having your weekly updates, like that's all been a part of my life. So why did I feel like for me though, I couldn't go and ask for help, right? And so when I started that journey, and again, it was around the exact same time that I was diagnosed with a learning disability, I then had a second psychologist or a learner essentially within the school to be able to set me up with software programs to engage the different ways that I learn. And so now I don't classify it as a learning disability because of the fact that I just learn differently than the next person. Right. And so unfortunately, that's where I think the schooling system has also failed us because they pinpoint us into a box being like, well, this is you don't learn one way. So you've got something right now in high school and elementary school. The reason why I didn't stand out as much is because my math grades were above the 90s. So it balanced out my English. And I also took. So for instance, grade 11 into grade 12, I took grade 12 English in the summer of grade 11, knowing full well it wasn't my strong suit, but that I needed it for university. So I adapted. I found ways along my path to make sure that I was successful and I kept on trying. So now looking back, there was that innate ambition, strength, character building that was going on at the exact same time, which brings me to today. So as much as I look back and I'm, and you can always sit in, oh, poor me. Oh, this really is shitty. But what does that help? Who does that help? Right. Yeah. And so I always say, I am grateful and thankful for the experience with my mom being bipolar because it's made me who I am today. It's made me patient with my own patient patients. It allows me to ask certain questions. I pick up on even the slightest reactions with certain people because that's what I was innately teaching myself growing up with my mom. And so now moving forward where unfortunately I'm going to put a quote unquote with soft skills versus hard skills. We automatically assume that if you have hard skills, so the technical skills that come with it, you're the best at whatever you need to be. So for instance, best restorations, best extractions, those are the technical skills. But then we label these soft skills as, okay, we're just going to throw them under the rug. And I was just reading an article where, why are we defining them as soft skills? Do you think being a leader is a soft skill? You think showing up and having communication or effective communication with a patient or your colleagues is a soft skill? You think actively listening is a soft skill? No, they're essential skills. Those are life skills. But because they're not as tangible as say, completing a restoration, we do, we bypass them and as women, because we have those caregiver attributes and we have that wanting to sit down and have conversations with patients, we then, I was just reading an article about this, we see less patients because of it. Women in dentistry still make less money. So even if you're on a fee schedule or a fee for service schedule, you accommodate your schedule based around your home life, your family life, right? And so I was just reading an article that even in 2019, we're still, there's still a gender pay gap between male dentists and female dentists.
So I kind of digressed and kind of went a little bit all over the place. I got so much to share. <laughs> That's okay. That was all good, really good information. So what do you think is the biggest thing you have learned from all of this? You know, is there, there a take-home message here that you want to share with the audience? Like the first thing I thought of was, it was we should never be afraid of, of the bumps in the road. Uh, because, you know, there's always a reason that they occur, you know, just like with COVID, I, I feel like there's silver linings to pieces of COVID-19, even though it has been an extremely stressful year. And, and prior to the show, you and I were talking briefly that I just can't wait till 2020 is just in the books because <laughs> I've had enough, you know, just let's move on to 2021. Maybe, maybe 2021 will be a better year, but you know, so for me, I think there's that silver lining to everything that happens to us and we gain so much more knowledge. So for you personally, what do you think that it taught you? Resilience. Yeah. Resilience. Because every time I had an obstacle, a challenge, a transition, and this leads right into exactly the imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome is I kept doubting myself. I kept self-sabotaging for a period of time. I kept trying to reach for perfection, right? Or fearing failure and then condemning myself to overwork or procrastinate because of the anxiety that I knew that came from it. And so what I now know of myself is the resilience to keep on going. And that's, you can, as dentists in general, we have to, we're competitive by nature, right? You have to take the diet. You need to score high. You need to have a really high GPA. You need to have extracurriculars, you, right? You need to. So leading or before dental school, you're top, top of your class, right? Then you get into dental school. You're among the top now. You're among the great. So it becomes normalized. And because it becomes normalized, we then forget our resilience and our ambition, and our motivation on why we choose. So now we're not just comparing ourselves to maybe someone in your biology class, which comparison is the thief of joy. And we keep comparing ourselves to the next person. And women innately will compare themselves because society has taught us to compare ourselves to each other, right? And it goes... We see it from the young age of magazines and how our appearance is supposed to be a certain way, right? And so when we have that innate comparison, we're then always looking over the fence. And this is what I always say to everyone in one of my posture phenomenon webinars that I named was, water your own grass. Stop looking over the fence. If you watered your own grass, it's going to be just as green. You'll have flowers. You can plant whatever you need to. You can start to grow trees, but you have to invest in yourself. You keep comparing yourself. It's not going to do you any good, right? Social media doesn't help with that too, because everyone is always posting the positives, the greats. And that's, this is one of the reasons why I got into talking about the imposter phenomenon, because we're not talking about the the ugly stuff that's happening behind closed doors where women are still suffering in silence, right? The times when you're, which I can relate to wholeheartedly, you're in the car driving to practice, driving to the dental clinic, driving to your dental practice, and you're getting nervous, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, I looked ahead in my schedule yesterday. I know what patients in my schedule and it's going to be difficult, right? So you're already starting, you're already starting in that mindset, right? So you're in the car and you're already overthinking. 
then you get there and you're either managing your team or you're really nervous about a procedure. Okay. So you go into the procedure. It doesn't go perfect because that's what we're taught. We're taught that everything needs to go perfect, right? So maybe the extraction took a lot longer or maybe your composite restoration, the anatomy, it was perfect. And then you had to reduce that occlusion. <laughs> it turned out to be completely flat, right? So then all of a sudden, at the end of the day, you're beating yourself up about every little thing that happened. So then what happens? You get in the car again. Now you're on your own. You're thinking. You're telling yourself, I'm not good at dentistry. I suck, right? Instead of maybe trying to be a little bit more specific and instead of blanket statementing it, right? And then what do you do? Because I can't be the only one who's had this where I get home, I close the door, I, with my dad, my back up against the door, slide down to the floor and I'm like head between my hands thinking, okay, this is, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. How did I choose this profession? Right. And what I want to know is why aren't we talking about this? Because I know I'm not the only one who's experienced those days or multiple days or weeks or months. Right. There have definitely been times where you come home, right? And it's more than one of those days. And you think, how are you going to get out of it? But that's where we forget to remind ourselves of the resilience that each one of us has. And it's really important to make sure that we keep looking back at our successes. But the imposter phenomenon is we keep setting next goals. And in order to motivate ourselves, we use this negative internal voice to motivate ourselves. So we create this anxiety. So it's your increased heart rate, your creeping sense of dread, the sweating, right? The insomnia that happens with it. So it creates this discomfort. So anytime you're trying something new or given a new challenge or obstacle or are in a different transition of your life, these thoughts start to come up. Then you self-doubt you fear failure, but ultimately you're successful. That's the beauty about the imposter phenomenon is that we're all high achievers at the end of the day, right? So we're successful, but we don't acknowledge it. We discount it. So that negative feedback loop is so negative because anytime we're trying something new, then we just get right back to that anxiety instead of questioning, why is that anxiety happening? Or what specifically is making me anxious? Is it that molar endo? because I can't find that MB2, <laughs> right? Like is what specifically is it? Because you definitely don't suck at dentistry, right? So it's trying to then narrow down and remind yourself of the resilience, of the ambition, of the drive that you have and that you will continue to forge forward in what you're choosing to do, whether that's in your personal life or whether that's in your professional life. So I just want to make an observation and the observation that I have made in listening to every single thing that you just said about the imposter phenomenon is that it all starts with thoughts. Yep. And that if we could interrupt that pattern, that we could interrupt that syndrome and stop it from happening. Now that's my sense I don't know for sure, but that's my sense. And I have to say that the one thing that I have learned in the years and years and years of reading a gazillion books, self-help books, whatever, you know, self-improvement books, whatever, I've read nonstop my entire life, is that 
thoughts of things and they have an energy associated with them and that energy impacts us and so where we may have left our home happy in five seconds or a millisecond with one thought that sense of joy just like you said that sense of joy can be completely destroyed in a heartbeat yeah yeah it is it's changing I know you had just mentioned because I just saw on one of the one of your posts about the fixed growth fixed versus growth mindset right? And that's what this is. It's neuroplasticity. We know neuroplasticity exists. It's the creation of new neural networks over time, but you have to consistently work at it. It's not going to just randomly change overnight. You have to keep creating those pathways. So the way that I like to describe neuroplasticity and our thoughts in general is, is that it's like a hiking trail. So you're out on that path, you're out in the forest, you see the hiking trail. There's rocks, the grass is padded down, there's trees on either side. You can visibly see that path. You choose to take that path every single time, okay? So that's your negative thought. But in order to change that, you need to go bushwhacking, right? Get off the path, yeah. Get off the path. So you need to go, but which means then every single time that path, that other path that you were just taking is so much easier to take because it's visible, You've already walked on it, right? So now when you see this new path, you've got to move that tree over. You've got to stomp down the grass again, right? You're bushwhacking over and over and over again until you've created that new path. Here's the kicker though. If you keep resorting to that initial path, it's eventually going to turn into a paved road and it becomes that much harder to break that path, right? Then you've got to get the construction workers out to be able to. And the bulldozers. And who's got time for that? Just go through the other forest and start making your own path, right? So it's really important to make that effort to be able to change it. And we have the brain thinks or the brain overestimates how much energy you have to put in in order to create a new habit and underestimates or devalues a little bit each day, right? And so even if you start five minutes a day and you're like, I'm going to change, I'm going to change the way that I think. So it's changing that negative thought to a neutral thought. It's not changing it to the upper positive. I'm not expecting you all of a sudden to be running around with unicorns and rainbows, right? Like that's not what it's supposed to be. It's you're getting to a very specific and away from that blanket statement. So for example, you leave a restoration and you tell yourself, I suck at dentistry. How does that help anyone? That doesn't help you. That doesn't help patients. That doesn't help your, your personal life because you know you take it home at the end of the day, right? So if you just left that restoration and maybe your margin wasn't as great as you thought and you're like, okay, I'm probably going to have to take a new x-ray in about six months and recheck it. So you say, I need to work on my margins, right? It becomes so tangible at that point. Okay, what do I need to do? Do I need to watch some videos? Do I need to review notes? Do I need to reach out to colleagues to gain insight on maybe the techniques that they're doing? Do I need to take a course? These are all tangible things instead of a random thought of, I suck at dentistry. That's not helping you. That's not helping your patients. Really good insight, Jess. Really good insight. 
Are you doing webinars now on the imposter syndrome? Yeah, so I'm actually, uh, I'm hosting a workshop that's starting in October where I've collected actually worksheets that I've, or activities that I've done to change my mindset, but adapted it to the dentist and doctor mindset. And because we do, we have a different personality. We think things a little bit differently. And so I've adapted those. And so my, one of my first, or one of the workshops that I'm running is in October, I'm running a beta workshop right now. And so I'm really hoping that that workshop then is that habit creating? Because that's the biggest thing is checking in with accountability. It's one thing to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to do this for 15 days or two weeks straight, right? But then at the end of the two weeks, it's like, okay, are you motivated again to keep doing it, right? What's going to keep you there? And so that's where the accountability of groups definitely and creating collectives of similar mindsets to share those experiences and keep people accountable along the way is so important. So I've been doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with uh, women dentists and doctors to help them change this mindset because again, and the same thing happened to me yesterday. I had a moment and I messaged a friend and we had just brainstormed. She's helping me with the alchemist dentist, which is my business. And she goes, she was listing off everything that I told her the day before. And she goes, if you follow it, that means you believe what you're teaching. And I, and all of a sudden, as I was reading it, I could hear myself, but the imposter phenomenon, I don't think it's something that you can ever overcome. It's tackling it, right? You're always going to have some sort of self-doubt that comes up or that self-sabotage that might come up, but it's understanding and being aware of it so that you're not getting stuck on it for or stuck in it for hours or days or months it's trying to and it was so interesting because a part of bit of my anxiety is a lot of tension sits in my neck not just because of dentist but just in general my shoulders are always up in my ears and so i noticed as soon as my friend had said something to me it was also that trigger because it was something that i have been telling myself over and over again and because of that it was like ah my shoulders all of a sudden relaxed and I was like, okay, I can do my work now. Oh my gosh. Isn't that amazing? What impact just thoughts have on our physical being, our emotional being and our well-being? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's unbelievable. So I can't wait to see what you do with this and I'm really excited for you and, and thank you for bringing it to the forefront because people are do shy away from, and I think women more than ever have shied away from understanding these concepts and understand, you know, that we get busy with kids and husbands and life and all of that kind of stuff. And you're right, we do muddle through, but why do we want to muddle through? We, we, we don't have to. And I think that that's, it's great that you're doing that. So I just want to change a little, pivot a little with our discussion. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Were you confident as a young woman? I would say yes and no at the same time. <laughs> what young woman isn't though? You're, you're at an awkward stage. <laughs> I played a lot of sports growing up, so I feel like a lot of confidence came from that, which I'm very grateful for. I had team members to rely on, so started to play ice hockey from uh, early age. And then once I got to high school, I played field hockey, ice hockey and rugby. And so I always had support from strong female peers, 
as well. So I'm so grateful for them, but no, there were definitely times where I definitely felt super awkward. I was definitely bullied early on too. And that definitely changes your mindset on life. And I mean, there's definitely snippets and I feel like every woman can comment on it where it's, there's definitely recognizable moments in time where you think back and you're like, Ooh, I remember that. Or even going back to my grades where I had shared a class, I shared an English class and I shared a calculus class with this male student. And I remember it was grade 11. And at that time, all your grades got posted at the back of the classroom, but your name was attached to it. There's no, (laughs) nothing was anonymous. (laughs) back then. And so name and numerical value was there. And so he had seen my English, but I knew my English was poor to begin with. And then we got to calculus and again, I excelled and it was one of my heart. I think that was class I ended up getting like 98% in. Anyway, I remember him going to the back, looking at it because our names were, were close to each other. And he turns around with like his fingers still on the piece of paper. And he says, you're smart. And I was like, (laughs) and I looked at him and I was just like, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's a classic. That is a classic. And so you're like, uh, okay. Okay. And so there's definitely moments in your life where you look back on and I don't know if that was a defining moment at all, but just a moment that stayed with you, right? That you're just like, oh, okay. So of course, then when you get to undergrad or more difficult stages, that then comes up, right? And you're like, oh, maybe I'm not smart actually, right? Which is what I used to tell people when I graduated dental school. I, like even a couple years afterwards, people would say, oh, you're so smart. Oh, I can't believe you do this. And I would discount it and I would say, oh, I'm not smart. I work hard. And who says that, right? Like, right? And Michelangelo has a saying that says, if you knew how much hard work went into it, you wouldn't call it genius. Yeah, no kidding. Right? Because it's all the preparation and people only see the outcomes, right? Yes, yes. And I will say that 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 is something too that I have observed over time is that, you know, people, it's very quick for them to say, gee, stock, I I, I see I'm buying you new Mercedes, right? Or whatever. People would say that. And I, I would say, yeah, but you didn't see the investment I've made in my whole career. So, you know, it's interesting people's perception of us. I wanted to go back. I'll share a quick story. I had, I was opening up the women's leadership group yesterday for our entering first year class. And it's the time where we talk to them about getting involved and taking on leadership roles and what it's like to be a leader, et cetera, et cetera. So I was sharing a story because I wanted them to understand that even someone, you know, in a significant leadership role, wearing several hats in, in organized dentistry, can not be error free. And so because I wanted them to understand that we all have issues and we all come into this and need to understand where our shortfalls are. Because my first series of exams, there was four at the same time. And I remember getting 48s on gross anatomy and biochemistry. And I went home that night and I went, oh my God, 
either I've made the biggest mistake of my life or something's got to change. So, you know, it was then that I realized I'm not cooking dinner anymore. I'm not cleaning the house. It's your turn to take care of baby and get her to school. So, you know, it's interesting sharing that story. I wasn't intending to share that story, but they opened up with congratulating the students on finishing their first exams. And I realized, oh my gosh, I can't be this dumb, you know? And so, right, it makes us like realize all of these things about ourselves and no, I'm not that dumb. I just didn't realize how hard this was going to be. Right. And so, you know, you have to, you have to pivot and you have to adjust and you have to come back at it and say, okay, I can do this. I'm just going to have to change my study habits and do a lot more focusing on what it is that I need to learn for these because Quite honestly, I was struggling that first series of exams. So what's the single best piece of advice that you've received in your career? I don't know if I have a single best piece of advice, more so as a collective where putting women in my life into roles, being able to, so that I can reach out to them and they can continually provide me advice and information and that knowledge during those different changes and aspects of life, right? Because it's not stagnant. It's not going to be like, if you're in a really hard time right now, it's not going to be like that forever. Right. And I just had a patient last week, which this is on the top of my head. And he goes, life is a book. This is a chapter. Yeah. And I walked away from that. And it's so true because whether it's a good chapter, a bad chapter, what chapter do you want to be writing right now? What do you want to be reading? And that's so important. And the same patient, um, he's very knowledgeable. He's elderly patient and has just had so much life experience. And so he told me, we had a conversation at his last visit and he was telling me about when he got promoted early on in his early thirties to a CEO position at the time. And I had asked him, cause this is talking about the imposter phenomenon. So I told him, I said, this is what I do outside of being in the clinic. What did you do? And he goes, I kept showing up. And I said, Oh, I'm like, it's that easy. He's like, no, it's not that easy. <laughs> right. And I go, and I go, okay. And I was like, but did you know what you were doing? He's like, no, but I kept showing up. I kept wanting to learn. I kept wanting to improve myself. And so I don't think I have just this one best piece of advice because I feel like the people who I surround myself and the people who are in my life, oh my goodness, they just drop some of those truth bombs every once in a while. And you're just like, I need that. That is exactly what I need right now. And so I'm so appreciative and working in the cancer center as a general dentist, I am very grateful because it puts so many things into perspective. Absolutely. Right. And so the, the amount of times a story is explained to me that an individual worked their entire life extremely hard so that they could get to retirement and save for that trip and go on that trip. And then two months before they're supposed to go get diagnosed with cancer. And the number of times I have heard that I'm like, I can't, I don't want to wait till the end because we also don't know when the end is. Right. And so 
I think it's extremely important that we remind ourselves with our life lessons that this is only a chapter. Mm-hmm. Who has made the biggest impact on you in your career? Do you, do you have a, a person in mind? Not a dentist. Biggest impact in my life is my grandmother. She is an immigrant from Italy and she came over in her early 20s and they worked, her and my grandfather worked so extremely hard to get to where they are today, to be able to provide us with what we have. And I know part of my personality comes from that at times where it's very vivacious and strong and stubborn, definitely at times, and very much a leader. And I'm so grateful. And for her, her caring aspect is making sure you have clothes on your back, making sure your tummy's full, making sure. So even now when we're socially distancing, I'll go over and she'll make a plate of pasta and then she'll be like, okay, wait, I have to go get this and I have to go get this and I have to go get this. And to this day, she's going to be 81 in a month. She is still that exact same person. And so when I had initially finished my residency, I was sitting across the table from her and I was talking to, I was having a very candid conversation with my mom about, should I freeze my eggs or should I freeze an embryo? And all of a sudden my grandmother chimed in and she goes, do you know how much that costs? (laughs) And I said, yeah, do you know how much it costs? (laughs) And she goes, she goes, yeah. And so she's like, it costs $25,000. And I said, Oh, first off, I was shocked with the fact that she knew that she, that she did know. And the second, she then followed it immediate with being like, why are you doing that right now? She's like, you just spent 11 years post high school in education. She goes, go and enjoy your life a little bit. Stop planning because you don't know what's going to happen either. Right? She's like, enjoy right now. She's like, you have debt. You finished residency. You have this, right? Just go and enjoy life for once. And I said, Oh my goodness, maybe I shouldn't just keep planning. And be, but we get stuck when we're in that application process, especially if you wanted to be a dentist from early on. We live in a semester basis or we live in like a four year window. So four years high school, four years undergrad, four years dentistry, depending on your specialty then, right? And so it's, we then get stuck in that. So we're always just consistently planning. Okay, five years, okay, 10 years. Okay, what's your 20 year goal, right? Or 20 year plan. But bringing that back. And that's where then sitting with my grandmother and hearing her life experiences takes you then out of that day-to-day grind of being stuck in, oh my goodness, that restoration didn't go as well. Oh, that implant retained denture didn't go as well. Right. There's so many other things that we can do that, that aspects that we can be drawn to that can take us away from that self-absorption. And that's what I think it is, right? Because rather than, you know, congratulating yourself on doing it a little bit better today than you did it yesterday, focus on that, not on how critical you are of your technique and why you were so bad at that. Focus on what is good about what you did today. If we could wake up every single day and just think, I'm going to enter this day and I want to just be better than I was yesterday. That's an accomplishment. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Who in dentistry inspires you? I think 
it's my patients who inspire me the most, whether it was in when I was still working in private practice and even now it's, oh my goodness. So I, so one of the main types of patients that I treat at um, Princess Margaret Cancer Center are the head and neck cancer patients. And so I see them pre-radiation, during, and post. And when that patient comes to see me in the middle of radiation and they've got mucositis and a feeding tube and have lost their taste and smell and that thick mucus and you have those patients so you either have a split split or a split 50 50 where you have the ones that are coming in where then it goes back to exactly what we were talking about in regards to the thoughts and your mindset your mindset and the mental fortitude that comes with right the patients who come in who have the worst of the worst and they're like nope i'm gonna get through this it's gonna happen i'm gonna end up on the other side i see it I'm counting down instead of counting into the, mon- the number of days. Like there's, there's definitely a mindset that comes with it as well versus the other patient who I do get. And I understand how when you're given that diagnosis of having cancer is very consuming, right? But it's, you've got to be able to try to get yourself out of that to know there is something on the opposite side. So those patients that come in that are, so positive that I know they're not as positive as they keep saying that they are, but they're just going to keep telling themselves that over and over and over again. Right. And that's why I stay just as happy. And I get that where patients come to me and they're like, I don't like going to the dentist, but I like coming to see you because you're so happy all the time. And that if I can give that to my patients while they're going through, whether it's radiation, chemotherapy, or their bone marrow transplant, if I can give that to them where it's that little bit of positivity to hold on to, I've done my day. It's amazing. And I'm sure more often than not, you're walking out of the door every night saying, thank you for blessing me with all these wonderful people. Yeah. And they are blessed to have you because not everybody can do what you're doing. You know, people are fragile, I think, in temperament and unable to deal with, you know, potential death and impact that it might have on the person that they're seeing in front of them. So it's a real great calling and you've answered the call. So thank you for doing that on behalf of all of us. Seriously. Oh, thank you. No, really. What is one thing that people would be surprised to know about you? So <laughs> coming with a lot of sports, you definitely need that physical activity, right? To be able to balance out, get rid of those nerves, get rid of that anxiety that's there. And so one of the things that I do outside of having played team sports is now I needed to pick something up that was more individual. And so I picked up uh, jujitsu and now more recently Muay Thai due to COVID distancing. And so yeah, it is fantastic getting to beat people up in a very controlled manner. <laughs> really enjoying that, Jess. I really, I really do because, I, Kate, going back, like you said, where treating cancer patients and having the stress that comes with it, when I walk into the jujitsu studio and the gym, I can't let my brain wander. If I let my brain wander, I'm going to get injured right? So it's really important to make sure that I stay focused the entire time. And then at the same time, I'm getting a great workout. So it's really important to make sure you have that aspect incorporated to your life where you're getting that physical energy out. 
but not just output, you're then inputting it back into you, right? You're building that strength again. And so it's really important whether you're choosing to run or to cycle or hiking and being out in nature, right? Being out just outside in general is extremely important because we then get that separation, but you also have to make sure that you're not just taking all those social media pictures at the exact same time, right? You need to make sure there is that disconnect because in order to energize or re-energize yourself, you have to give yourself a bit of that break. And so I'm so grateful for jujitsu and I'm not going to lie. It's been a struggle (laughs) with COVID. And so you do some other things and I've definitely taken up more hiking now, but it's definitely when you find that sport or that exercise that helps benefit you, oh, it, it changes. It makes all the difference in the world. That's spinning for me. I love to spin. And I just, the time flies by and I sweat <laughs> like. Right. And how, and when you get to that hill, when you get to that hill, what are you telling yourself? Oh God. I'm going for it. And I just keep going. Yeah. I'm not quitting. So I want to just go back to something that you said, which is, is something I think is critically important for all of us that need to accomplish things. And that is getting so laser beam focused that, you know, nothing distracts you. You know, I, I have said on multiple occasions to entering freshman year classes and even students that are, you know, in other years, you know, you got to put your, your blinders on, right? You know, horses have blinders for a reason because, you know, they don't want to get them distracted when they're going down a straight path and they don't want them to be spooked by something, right? Yes. So the same thing for us, we can't take the chance when we're trying to accomplish major big life goals, we can't take the chance of getting spooked in and being caught off off our path because, you know, it's hard, as you know, to try and get back on, right? And trying to get back, you know, I've had uh, times in my life where, you know, I've given up exercise, you know, 30 years. I spent every morning getting up, going, running with my running partner. And then, you know, I moved and, and I had a hard time, you know, keeping up with going back to where she was and, and meeting her. And I slowly but surely started to lose the habit. And it took an awfully long time to get back in. And I will tell you that it's hard. It's hard to do once you're off track. So laser beam focus is, is really um it's so, it's so important. It really is. And you said, you said the key word that was so important there with getting spooked, right? It is because that's why they have it on. So then they're not paying attention to the other horses. So they're not worried about going to go eat the grass. And so they're not going out in whatever else there is. Right. And so I know for me in particular, I like setting goals because I like having something to keep working towards, regardless of what it is, if it's in jujitsu and it's my next belt, or if it's at work and having a more complicated case or whatever it is, right? But my problem at times, and this is going back to the discounting success where we then get spooked because we all of a sudden either start comparing, right? Or we tell ourselves we can't do this. And so it is important to have that laser focus, to put those horse blinders on sometimes. And so if that means that you need to take a social media break, you take a social media break. If that means that, okay, maybe you got to take a break from a couple of friends because they're not bringing the best energy to you, then you take a break from them. It's not saying that you need to get rid of them altogether. I mean, you could get rid of them altogether. (laughs) 
But sometimes taking a break is a good thing. Exactly, exactly. In order to do better and in order to do more, you have to give yourself that rest and relaxation. Otherwise, what will happen is, is that you're going to burn out, which statistics show with the imposter phenomenon. So a study was done with for nursing students, dental students, medical students, and pharmacy students. And a third of them categorize themselves as imposters. And imposter phenomenon is one of the highest risks for developing psychological distress. So ultimately leading to burnout. Like it's, we, it's there. Recent, like the research that I keep just actually a Harvard research just came out where they were measuring dental and medical students and who it affects. So males versus females, females tend to be the most affected. And that research had started back in 1978 with Dr. Clance and Dr. Imes, who were clinical psychologists. And what did they notice? They noticed that their female graduate students across all different professions, right, couldn't internalize that feeling of success. So it's that feeling of intellectual phoniness when your CV and resume said otherwise, right? You went to dental school. You have a degree. You're not lying about it, right? You've been in practice. You've been practicing for 5, 10, 15 years, right? You're a business owner or you're an associate or you're a clinical instructor at a school as well. You're not making that up, right? But why do we or why can't we acknowledge that? And so we forget to look back. And when we forget to look, look back, that can also be a part of us then losing laser focus, right? Because of the fact that anytime we're given in that new challenge or new task or new obstacle, we then think, no, 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 I can't do this, right? We have to change that. You can do that. You can. You can do anything you want to do. It's the only limiting factor here is you. Yes, that's the only limiting factor. Yeah. You're never starting from scratch. You are never starting from scratch. And for some reason, every time we try something, we think that we're starting from scratch and that we have no skills that are tangible. Every single skill that you learned in the last goal that you achieved is completely transferable. You just need to figure out how you can apply it. That's all it is. Oh my gosh. Great insight. Is there a personal motto or mantra that you live by, Jess? There's a quote that I have that I will say it's by Anthony Hopkins and he says, open quote, none of us are getting out of here alive. So please stop treating yourself like an afterthought, eat the delicious food, walk in the sunshine, jump in the ocean, say the truth that you're carrying in your heart, like hidden treasure, be silly, be kind, be weird. There is no time for anything else. That's a great one. Yeah. So I have that up on my fridge and that's something that I, I look at every morning and it's again, going back to creating habits, that is something that you have to do. So then just like yesterday where I said, all of a sudden my shoulders came off my ears, right? You need to create those. So you have those reactions to the stimuli that you've put in place. So then when you see it, you're like, ah, okay. It's a trigger, right? It helps trigger the things that we want. So you put those in place and you can have a trigger, positive trigger or a negative trigger, right? So you put those triggers in place and it helps to accomplish what it is you set out to. Yeah, absolutely. So how about a secret dream or guilty pleasure that you like to pursue? 
I'm living it now, which is awesome with the imposter phenomenon. Oh my goodness. It's been such a, I feel like it's been such a long time coming that I've been wanting to do this. And I don't know what's happened recently, but I had proposed it back in November or October of 2019. I got some like here and there's and like, ah, okay, whatever. And then as things started to progress, I started to drop these comments to people. And I was like, what are your, th- what, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> and like, just, have you ever felt this before? And not just to colleagues, but to mentors as well. And I was like, did this ever happen at some point? Or, and, and then all of a sudden the outpouring of information and the acknowledgement that came from other women saying, oh yeah, yeah, yeah happened to me. This is what you do. And I'm like, why aren't we sharing these? And so when COVID happened, all the webinars and continuing education courses that came out. And so I had reached out to a Toronto group and I said, what about the imposter phenomenon? Do you need something that's non-COVID? And they were like, yeah, let's do something non-COVID. And I did. And the response that I got from it just pushed me to now do what I'm doing, which is engaging women dentists and doctors, because I want to help. Why does it have to be so painful to get through this profession? And then we're only looking at retirement, right? We're just like, okay, well, if I keep working, I'll work the next 20 years, I'll work really hard. And then I'll retire in 20 years. Why did we just skip 20 years of our life? Yeah. Right. So if I can help women change that mindset So we're not suffering in silence anymore. I've, so I, I'm, I'm living my secret dream. It's out there now. It's no longer secret. That's awesome. That's (laughs) And we all should be living our dreams, right? Every single day, day in, day out, we should be living our dream. And if you're not, the only person stopping you is you. Yeah. Last question. Any piece of advice you'd give our young dental entering dental students first year dental students that you would like to any advice you'd like to share to make their journey through dental school a little bit easier get involved get involved make those connections early on and i realize that's super cliche to say but first year dental school i didn't i i say i lived covid (laughs) at that point i went home school home school (laughs) school home home school and that was all that i did and it wasn't until second year where i started to get involved with the american student dental association and at that point me and four other girls over a bottle of wine one night we're like we need to start the wellness committee at bu and that's what we did and we started and we each had different ideas and concepts that we wanted to bring in to change the dynamic of introducing wellness into BU. And then from there, I was second delegate and then first delegate. And those connections, those friendships that I made, you are going through thick and thin with these people for four years. So my best friend and I, my, my roommate from dental school lives on the opposite side of Canada. So she's in British Columbia and I'm in Ontario. And we are still, we still talk pretty much every other day. Like those are the individuals you're going through fire with, <laughs> right? Yep. So you need to make those connections. That person in your class 
is the only other person who knows exactly what you're feeling, understands what you're going through at that exact same moment in time. So lean on them. And so it's really important to make sure you get involved, regardless of which student organization you choose to do, or whether that is making those connections with people so that you're not alone and that it's not as challenging as it needs to be, right? Dental school in and of itself, going back to those hard skills, are challenging. It's something new that you're learning. But why does everything else need to be that much more challenging? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jessica, it has been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to see what you do in this profession because you are, I'm going to call you the firecracker. <laughs> Thank you. you are the firecracker. You're going to be lighting it up. I, I can just tell already. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, seriously, I, 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 just your personality. You're so engaging. I know you'll have a tremendous amount of success. So congratulations already. Thank you. I can already see that in your future. I just want to say um, it has been an absolute pleasure to get to know you more. I can't wait to hear more about the conference you're going to do and wishing you all the best. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.